The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Well, good morning, church. I hope you are doing well. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you grab them? Open with me. Find your place in Romans. We're going to be in chapter 5. And this morning, we are going to talk about the idea, the biblical understanding of salvation. What is salvation? See, if we're not careful, I think we, we, um, we can use words. How many know this to be true? You can use words, right, um, without stopping to, to truly understand what they mean. It's like we get so familiar with them that we don't really... Uh, consider what we're what we're what we're even saying. It, it's like the old saying that, that says, "Time in erodes awareness of," meaning that the more familiar um, we are with the words, sometimes the less aware of them that we actually are. And I believe that the word salvation can be one of those words for Christians. Let me ask you some questions. What does it mean to be saved? What do we save from? What do we save to? Uh, Why do we need saving? When are we saved? Is it this salvation for some later moment in time? Or are we already saved? How about this one? Do we wait for the salvation of the Lord that we will one day experience? Or do we rest in the salvation of the Lord that we have already received? These questions, church, they're so important for us as Christians because this idea of salvation, this theme of salvation is so central. It's central to Christian theology and to uh, scripture as a whole. So what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? Well, in our text today, Paul puts something before us that's so important and something that can be overlooked. And so this morning, here's the way I want to I wanna set this up. Here's the way I want to work through this together. So we're going to be looking at verses 9, 10, and 11. And um, I'd like to read them for us. Just read them all together, verses 9, 10, 11. And then once we read it, we're going to take a moment. I'd love to pray for us in our time. And then we'll pick through it and kind of work through this text little by little. So let me read uh, this incredible text for, for us together. It says this, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Much more, or more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this day. Uh, this is the day you have made, the day you have you've given. And we know that this is a day that you have provided. And because of that, we know that this day is not an accident and, and we are not here 
by accident. This morning, as we look at this text, as we consider one of the most foundational doctrines and themes of all scripture, Lord, would you help us? For those who are new to the faith or or even seeking, would you open our eyes to the beauty and the wonder of salvation in Christ? For those who have been walking for with you for, for many years, would you, Lord, would you pierce through the familiar? And would you open our eyes afresh to this doctrine? For all of us, our aim is to glorify you. So we pray that you would be honored and glorified by everything that we do here. God, thank you. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's look at this text closer. So here's what I'd like to do. We have three verses, like I said, 9, 10, 11. What we're going to do is we're going to spend the first part of our time looking at verses 9 and 10. Don't think that I've missed 11. We're coming back to it. But we're going to spend our, our the first portion of our time with verses 9 and 10. As we do, what I'd like to do, I want us to just make three real quick observations about these verses, and then we'll pick them apart. So observation number one, you ready? Would you notice with me, observation number one, the timing words. Now, I'm not going to, you know, repeat what we looked at last week where we talked about how important timing is, but as we look at the text, Today, timing is is very important for us here as well. Let me read this, and and as I do, I want you to just notice the timing. The um, specifically, notice with me the tense of the verbs. So listen to this. Therefore, we have been justified by His blood. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if we were enemies. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? All right, here's what we see here. Verse 9, as we look at the timing words, we have past tense, since we have been, then future tense, we shall be. Verse 10, same thing again. Past tense, we were. Then again, future tense, we shall be. In both of these verses, church, there is a past reality followed by a future reality. There is a past tense truth followed by a future tense truth. In Paul's words here, there is one present tense verb as well. I want us to notice this. It's, it's verse 10 and it's the word, it's, it's the phrase, we are reconciled. So what? Paul is calling us to see is is that salvation here is far reaching through time. It is a past tense, present tense, future tense thing. There is a past tense reality, there is a present tense reality, and there is a future tense reality. All right? Follow with me? So you're probably thinking, you know, pastor, let's move on. I hated grammar school back then. Not a big fan of it now. (laughs) I get that. But listen, listen, hold on with me. Hang on with me. Stay with me. That's observation number one is the, the verb tenses that you see in this verse. Observation number two, not just the timing words, the verbs. But I I want you to notice what I'm going to call the building words. So you're going to see this. It says, therefore, we've been justified by his blood. Paul then says, much more. 
shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Then verse 10, it says, while we were enemies, when we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more again, Paul says, now that we have been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? So not only church, is there a past tense reality, like we talked about, um, and present tense, followed by a future tense reality. Not only is that true, but in both verses, Paul gives the past tense reality followed by the future that is much more, much more. So in both cases, Paul says, look, uh, the past tense truth is incredible, but no matter how incredible that is, Paul says much more when you think about the future truth. See, as good as the past is, the future is much more. There's these building words here that just increases the intensity much more, all right? Are you with me? So the first observation, notice the tense of the verbs. Second observation, notice these building words. Last observation I have for you is I want you to notice real quickly what I'm going to call number, specifically with the pronoun. If you look at this text, you see a bunch of we's, you know, we have been justified. We have been saved. We were enemies. We were reconciled. We are reconciled. We shall be saved. You see these all throughout this text. We, 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 we. We is a first person plural pronoun. Again, you're like, I hate grammar, pastor. I get it. Stick with me. Paul could have said I, could have said you. He could have been texted and say y'all, but he doesn't. Instead, what does he do? He, he uses the word we, which is we is, is not only inclusive, meaning Paul identified with them, it's inclusive, but it's also plural, not individualistic. It's not me, myself, and I, and me, my Jesus, and my Bible. It's not that. Paul's not talking about churchless Christianity here. Instead, he uses the collective, the plural, the we. So here's what I want to do. Let's put these observations together. Let's grab them all, put them together. We're noticing the tense of the verbs, building words, even the we's, and let's put this together. Says this, since therefore, so since, because of, therefore, we have been justified by his blood. Justified. What does it mean to be justified? It means to be declared righteous. The way I learned it growing up in, in church is, is, is justification is being made just as if I had never sinned, right? I think that's good. Um, so Paul is saying, so because we have been justified, that's past tense, church. That means it's, it's done. It's, it's completed. It's not being done. It's not going to be done. Justification is done. Why is that? How is that? Well, Paul says, we have now been justified. How? By his blood. So justification is done because the work of Christ on the cross is done. Christ, as he called out on the cross, it is finished. Church, he meant it. We have been justified by his blood. Meaning, our justification is through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why the righteous shall live by faith. This is why justification is by faith alone. Because our justification is believing and trusting in the completed work of Jesus Christ. And by the way, I want you to take in what this means. 
For those of, of you who are in Christ, for those of you who follow Jesus, who trust in Jesus, hear me, church. You will never be more or less justified than you are right now. You're never going to be more justified. You're never going to be less justified than you are right now. Why is that? It's because it is finished. Done. That's justification. So Paul starts right here, right at the foundation, since therefore now we have been justified by his blood. Now Paul says this, much more Shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? Notice that much more, we have the building word here. So because we have been fully and completely justified by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, because that is true, much more will we be saved. That's a future tense. We will be saved by him from the wrath of God. If you have been justified by grace through faith, much more than When you see Jesus face to face, when you stand before him, will you be saved by, uh, from God's wrath for your sin? In other words, a good way to say this and to think about this is, is since Jesus intercedes for us on our behalf today, much more will he intercede for us on that day as we stand before him face to face. See, Paul is pointing us forward to the judgment day, that that moment in the future when all creation will stand before the creator and give an account. And as we've said so many times in our time in Romans, um, our God is perfect and perfectly holy, perfectly just. And we've said this before, I'll say it again. Our God does not sweep sin under the rug and you don't want a God who sweeps sin under the rug. Our God can't because he is perfectly righteous and just and good. And so scripture talks all throughout scripture. Jesus in the gospels talks about this. The prophets talk about this. It talks about the, the idea, the day, the future day of judgment, the judgment day. Now, I could give you, go into all the details and the timelines and the wall charts. I could talk about the different ways that Christians uh, see this day, but I'm not going to do that. And why is that? Because this text is calling us to see something very directly, and I don't want us to miss it. There will be a day when we will stand before the Lord and on that day, the Lord, the righteous judge, will make things right. And Paul here is giving us, the people of God, such just this, this powerful hope. If, since, because we have been justified by the work of Jesus Christ, because of grace, through faith in Christ, because we have been justified, Paul is clear You and I will not experience God's wrath on that day. Since Jesus, hear me church, since Jesus took the wrath for your sin on the cross, you will not experience God's wrath for your sin on judgment day. This is salvation. It's a past reality, but it's not just a past reality. Much more, Paul says, it's a future truth, a future reality. Now, before we move into verse 10, I want to say something really clear here because I, I know, I know that it's kind of the cool thing for now for Christians, especially younger Christians, um, especially millennials, <laughs> to uh, look at um, 
the end times stuff, that whole eschatology stuff, and and just to go, none of it. I don't want to have any of it. All I know, Christ will come again. That's all that matters, <laughs> right? Uh, millennial Christians tend to be, tend to be, not always, and it's it's not just the millennials, but um, there are many of us who tend to be more focused on the world in front of us and the doctrines that like immediately impact the world before us or that we see immediately impacting us and and not so much on the wall charts and the the end times. Listen, I get all of that. I get all of that. And, and, and before I rip on it, <laughs> um, it's not all a bad thing because I know there have been, there have been far too many who have taken all this end time stuff too far. And just like any other pendulum swing, we go this way and then go back the other other way but listen to me church church the end times is not just this this uh wall chart material for you to put up on your wall um what scripture says about the end times it's 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 not just about filling those gaps on the wall chart it's not just about selling more um left behind uh books um The end times, church, it's so important for us to understand because of the hope that it provides in the present moment. When we know, church, how it all ends, we do not lose hope in the present moment. See, the end times, they impact how we live and how we see our day today. Listen, if this is you, I, I encourage you, maybe pick up the book of Revelation and instead of reading it with like a wall chart in mind, um, read it to understand the simple fact that Jesus Christ reigns, that he reigns forever and that all things will be made right under his rule and reign. Revelation is about Jesus, not our wall charts. The end times is about Jesus, not our wall charts. Now, yes, there are different views and how to understand all of this, and I, and I get it. Um, honestly, you're in good company if you don't know all the answers, because Jesus says, "Look, look, look! No one knows the times that are fixed by the Father in glory." So, so listen. Um, no matter who you are, though, no matter who you are, you and I, we can't shy away from the end times. And understanding the hope that we have in Jesus for the end times. We can't, we can't shy away from that. We can't throw it all away, throw the baby with the bathwater. We can't do it. We can't do it. Because here in our text, what we see Paul doing, he's so clear. In Christ, he says, you've been saved and you will be saved from the wrath of God on that day. There is no fear. There's no condemnation for those in Christ. So let's, let's move into 10. For if while we were enemies, so it's again, a reference back to what we looked at last week, verses six through eight. Remember what we said last week, that, that it's absolutely incredible for someone to lay down their life for a friend or someone they love. It's absolutely incredible for a fellow soldier to lay down his life for a, his brother. I mean, that's the stuff Hollywood movies are made of right there. But Paul has been clear from the beginning. You are not a friend. 
You are not a good person. In fact, you are an enemy. You were an enemy. So how much more then, how much more is it incredible that Jesus Christ would lay down his life for you, knowing what he was purchasing with his blood? This is the grace of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Church, this is incredible. This is incredible. Let's think just for a moment about this term, reconciled. Uh, reconciliation, whenever you see this word, here's how it's defined. It's the reestablishment of an uninterrupted relationship. The reestablishment of an uninterrupted relationship. I, I instantly think back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, life in the garden. You see this beautiful, uninterrupted relationship between God and man. And it lasts two chapters. It doesn't take long. Genesis 3 rolls and we have the fall. We have the great interruption where, where we are now go from, from friend to enemy. In the story of Scripture... Church, the story of the gospel is this. God did not wait for his enemies to choose him, to make things right on their own because they could not do it. Instead, God came to them. Jesus put on flesh and he dwelt among us, lived the life we could not live and died the death that we deserve so that we can be saved, so that we can be reconciled, so that we could reestablish an uninterrupted relationship. And from this, Paul builds. He says, much more. There's our building word again. Much more now that we are reconciled. By the way, notice the present tense here. This is not a past tense thing here. The the life of a Christian church is a reconciled life. See, Christian, your God is not simply a subject for you to study, not a set of do's and don'ts. It's it's not a, a religious affiliation. Church, The church is not a social club. The church is not weekend entertainment or free childcare. No. Christian, you are now in real, uninterrupted relationship with your real God, and the church is your family, the community of people who are in in uninterrupted relationship together with our God and with each other. We make our our God and we make the Christian life, we make our church so small and puny when we fail to understand that salvation is not just a past tense thing, but it is a present tense reality that we live out. So Paul says, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Paul says, now that we have been given a reestablished, uninterrupted relationship with our God through Jesus Christ, much more, he says, shall we be saved by his life. What is the saying, church? I think about Jesus in comparison to the Old Testament sacrifices. See, Jesus is not like the Old Testament sacrifices for sin in so many ways, but one of the most important distinctions is this. Jesus did not remain dead. He is alive. I don't think we talk about this enough, but our hope for the future, our hope in Christ for eternal life, for heaven, our hope does not just rest in the death of Jesus, but in his life. 
Not just in the fact that he died for our sins, but the fact that he is alive to intercede for sinners. Scripture tells us so much about this. But one of the most important books in all the Bible to understand this reality is the book of Hebrews. And in fact, I'd like to just read two short verses. You don't have to turn with me here, but but let me read to you Hebrews 7, 24 through 25. Listen to this. But he, that is Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Incredible is that. And then he says this, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he is always lives to make intercession for them. How incredible is that? If you're ever wrestling with doubt or insecurity or fear, here's my recommendation to you. Just take Hebrews 7, 24 through 25 and just meditate on this verse for about an hour or so because that church is awesome. That's awesome. Another one, Hebrews uh, 4, 16 through 18. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Church, take that in. Because Jesus lives, we can face today. Because Jesus lives, as the hymn says, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, he intercedes for us now and forever. In other words, church, he has saved us, he is saving us, and he will save us forever and ever. Let me say that again. Church, he has saved us He is saving us and he will save us forever and ever. Let's pause for a moment and let's come back to our original question before we roll into verse 11. Remember, we started off and we said, we asked, what is salvation? What does it mean to be saved? What do we save from and save to? Why do we need saving? When are we saved? Is it later? Are we already saved? Um, Do we wait for the salvation of the Lord or do we rest in the salvation that we already have, right? Listen, I want to answer this clearly and concisely so that we are able to answer it clearly and concisely together as we leave this place because this is foundational. Let me be very clear. You and I, we are saved from sin. That is what salvation is. You are saved from sin Save from the consequences and penalty, the brokenness of sin, the power, the bondage of sin in in a world that is marked by sin. You are saved from sin. And so what is salvation? What is salvation in Christ? Well, I I think it's helpful for us to think about this in, and what I'll give you is three Ps, okay? These are very simple, three Ps. Number one, In Christ, you were saved from the penalty of sin. The first P is penalty. You were saved from the penalty of sin. Through the cross, through his work, and that is past tense, church. You were saved 
from the penalty of sin. That means there is now no more guilt, no more condemnation for those in Christ because you were saved from the penalty of sin in Christ, justified. First P. Number two, in Christ, you are being saved from the power of sin. Second P is power. So, uh, first P, you were saved from the penalty of sin. And now in Christ, you are being saved from the power of sin. Through the cross, through his work, through the spirit, this is present tense, church. You are being saved from the power of sin. And number three, in Christ, you will be saved from the very presence of sin through the cross, through his work. That church is future. Take that in. Salvation is from sin and it is past, present, and future. Salvation is that you have been saved from sin's penalty. You are being saved from sin's power and you will be saved from sin's very presence. That church is the gospel. That church is salvation. It is already and not yet. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, and it is past, present, and future. This is the salvation of God through Christ. Hear me, church. Do not try to make it less than that. Scripture is not going to let you. To ignore the fact that you've been saved from sin's penalty is to live a life of fear and shame and guilt, uh, looking for God to kind of smite you around every corner. We can't ignore the fact that we've been saved from sin's penalty. More than that, to ignore the fact that you've are being saved from sin's power, that's to live a life in the flesh, to live in sin, to live for the very thing that your Savior gave his life to defeat. It's to live your life as though God saved you and then step back and say, well, good luck, buddy. I'll see you on the other side. Church, that's not the Christian life. In fact, Paul's going to speak out directly in in a few verses and and ask, what what should we say then? Are we going to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. He's going to ask, how can, how can we who died to sin still live in it? That doesn't make any sense. We cannot, church, ignore the salvation we receive from the power of sin. And church, more than that, not only the penalty and the power, uh, but to ignore the fact that we will be saved from sin's presence, hear me, is to live a life without hope. It's to ignore the future as, as God's word says in Revelations 21, uh, it said in Revelation 21 says, he will wipe away every tear from their eye. There'd be no death. There'd be no mourning, no crying or pain. The former things have passed away. Here's my point, church. Salvation is so much bigger than we often preach it to be. It is a past, present, and future. It is more than just fire insurance for later. It is more than just rules for today. And it's more than just forgiveness for yesterday. It is a reconciled life to God through Jesus Christ by grace through faith alone. That's salvation. So I have to ask, what now? What do we do with this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, Let's finish our time in verse 11. Paul says, more than that. There's another one of those building words here. More than that. 
Notice as I read this next verse, also, it's not the normal past tense, then future tense thing that Paul's been doing. No, this time, Paul gives us a present tense. Listen to this. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So as we think about salvation, as we think about how beautiful it is, how big, how all-encompassing it is, what are we to do? Well, it's all we can do. Rejoice. Rejoice. You know what I think about? If I were to tell you, look, right now, everyone, look under your chair. There's an envelope, and in that envelope, there's a million dollars. That money is yours, no strings attached. How many of you would need instruction from me on what your reaction should be to that good news? Probably not. I'm assuming there'd be some shock, some jumping up and down, some tears, some happy people right here, right? You don't need for me to tell you how to react to good news. Well, church, the news of the gospel is infinitely better than that. So how much more, church, should we rejoice? Our lives should be characterized by joy. Not that we don't go through difficult things, because we do, but because through all things we are more than conquerors through Christ. We have been saved from the penalty of sin, we are being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the very presence of sin. So now we rejoice in a reconciled life with our God through Jesus Christ. Here's our action step. You ready? Rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in the gospel. We respond to the word this morning and we respond with joy.